This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. I'm excited to have my co-host, Chris Knutson, here with me today. We don't always get to do these episodes together because we're on two different sides of the world, but today we are together and we're going to be bringing to you another Q&A episode. We've got just a ton of questions coming in from listeners, and we're super excited to dive in and answer them. Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Anthony. How's everything going where you are? Everything is good, and it's another Q&A episode, which is always pretty exciting, and this is actually in a series that we're doing for WPI's Foise School of Business. They've sponsored this series, which is awesome because, honestly, we get literally one or two questions a day coming in through the website now, and while we just can't keep up with answering them all and replying to you, what we do do is we take these questions and we put them into these scripts and where we do these Q&A episodes typically once a month. So, don't be discouraged if we're not getting back to you on email. We're putting it into a show episode and we are answering these questions together, Chris and I, when we can on these episodes. So before we get into the main segment, we've got some good questions we're going to tackle today. I want to just take a moment to recognize WPI for sponsoring these episodes. If you're thinking of an MBA but don't have one in reach, consider WPI's Foise School of Business top-notch business school integrated into WPI's world-class educational experience. With a distance education format that features six visits to campus per year, WPI's MBA program is one that any engineer should consider. It is a very interesting program in the way they set it up to make it easy for you to do it as a professional. I attended a couple of their webinars. I learned about the program before we took on the sponsorship. And Mark Fellens, who is an engineer by trade now working in their MBA program, is going to come on and do an episode with us and dig a little bit more into an actual MBA and how it can help you. And we're we're pretty excited about that. So with that, let's jump into the main segment. We'll give you a quote here to take us into the segment. Chris, you want to give a quote here that could bring us into today's questions? Yeah. So let's go with one from Michael Jordan. And uh, he tells us that some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen and others make it happen. So I think we're going to do that with with some of the answers we're going to provide today. We're going to help people make it happen. So now it's time for the main segment of our show today, and we're going to jump right in here and just take these listener questions one at a time. We'll go through them, and then, as always, we will put together a summary in our show notes for you, and we'll give you the link for that at the end of the show. Our first question is from Zane from Alabama. He's an engineering student. Hey guys, I'm a sophomore majoring in chemical engineering at the University of Alabama. I am confident in my choice of major because I am a process-oriented thinker and problem solver, and chemical engineers typically deal with processes a great deal. My question is a personal one related to my class schedule. I have some wiggle room in my four-year plan to add a minor to supplement my major. If I were to add a minor, what minor do you think would be the most valuable in pursuing? I have some interest in computer science, but I'm wondering if minoring in computer science would be taking a completely different path than chemical engineering. Some forums say that even branching out to get a minor in a liberal art such as communication can add some breadth to your major. 
I have heard so many different opinions on obtaining a minor that I am not sure who to believe. All right, Zane. So that's a really good question. I think it applies to beyond just engineering students. It's anytime you're thinking about adding to your resume, your reputation, your credentials, right? It's going to be important and prevalent throughout your engineering career. And the one thing that I would say is I definitely think doing something outside of the engineering technical world would be a positive for a lot of reasons. One, it's going to help you to kind of use that right brain a little bit and get exposure to other ideas, other things. So something like a communication one could be good. Another one that I would recommend would be some kind of business courses or business majors. I think that would be great as well because then you're adding, again, some of that business knowledge to your technical engineering knowledge, which I think could be extremely helpful. And the one other one that I'll mention, and Chris and I had some experience with this recently, and you heard on episode 100, Joe Schrodel from SAME talking a little bit about credentials and the importance of them in different degrees. He talked a lot about understanding contracts and like contract law and contract legal terms, which could always be helpful for you as an engineer as well. So that's another avenue you could explore. Chris, any thoughts? I think you're, you're right on target with the comments that you provided, Anthony. I know that um, you know, there could be a lot of benefits to any engineer of being able to branch out and step into the liberal arts areas. I personally started off my university as a music major and then switched over to civil engineering but, uh, you know, but obviously, if you've got the wiggle room in your program, pursuing the liberal arts, pursuing something in the business arena, I can only imagine is going to is going to provide you with a uh, with a depth that many others will not have. You know, one other aspect to bring into this is that I guess there's two different ver- two different perspectives that you can use when, you, when you're looking at this. One of them would be looking at, well, what, what's going to best position me professionally to be able to go after or to be able to expand the number of opportunities that I could have career-wise, just starting out. The other perspective to approach this at would be, you know, what type of work might I be able to do or I could do that would uh, that would, that you would find to be fun? I mean, you know, just purely pursuing something, some minor area of study that's 100% focused on that's something that you find enjoyable or an area that you want to learn more about because it's been something that you've always found to be interesting. And I know that for myself personally, in doing that, for me, it was a, it was areas related around resiliency and infrastructure and resiliency in uh, like related to climate change not necessarily related to my career or what I thought I was going to be doing, but I've, I've found that, that knowledge has uh, expanded my understanding of things and has been able to open up opportunities that I didn't think were even going to be available. So that's, that's just maybe a, a different way of looking at it. Certainly, Anthony, what you suggested, I'm 100% in sync with it. I just think that uh, something that Zane could potentially look at this is you know, kind of approach it from one or two perspectives, either what's going to provide specific professional advancement or coming at it from purely from the perspective of what's the most fun or what's the most enjoyable. Yeah. And I think too, if you're a practicing engineer, you could have similar questions around a master's degree, certification. And again, it's thinking about the opportunities that it's going to bring to you. That's a big, big area to focus. Ron from Washington. Hi, my name is Ron. I'm a graduate student of structural engineering at the University of Washington. My question is, when I encounter a difficult piece of a homework or exam problem, how do I keep calm and maintain concentration on the problem? My mind often wants to wander and look for ways around the problem, and I end up spinning my wheels for hours and wasting time on it. Thanks. So this is another one that, again, parallels to your engineering career and life, really, because you're going to face all kinds of problems and you're going to need to try to focus on them. 
and solve them. So it's kind of a bit of a, an analogy or a micro look at what an engineering career is. But, but in this situation, Ron, I'll give a couple of suggestions and I'm, I know Chris will have some, some stuff on this, but just try to use whatever tactics you can use to keep yourself focused. And one of the things that I use, and I know Chris uses it too, is the Pomodoro technique where basically you can Google it and there's a million timers online or there's apps where you literally set a timer for 25 minutes and you focus on nothing else but the task at hand for those 25 minutes. And then when the timer goes off, you take a break, maybe five minutes, and then you go back at it again. So that's one way that you can try to channel your focus. The other way is just to eliminate distractions. So if you're working on a problem, if you can avoid doing it on the computer or you can close down your browser, do other things like that, that will help you to focus on it. The first one I was gonna I was gonna toss out was gonna be the Pomodoro technique, and I'm in the uh, show notes. We can you know we can share a couple of links. I've got a specific timer that I use. I've got it loaded on my uh, uh, I use a Mac, so I've got it loaded on my Mac. I've got one loaded on my my iPhone. That's certainly one technique. It was actually developed by uh, by a graduate student in Italy, so uh, he he obviously shared the same challenge that many of us share. A couple other ones that I would maybe toss out would be the uh, the concept of two minutes. And what, and what I mean by that is I find, at least for myself sometimes, if it's something that I'm, I'm trying to avoid doing, and for whatever reason, it, this is all combined to the fact that you're just, you're fearful for some reason of jumping into something, but I just do two minutes, you know, set a timer for two minutes, and then I usually find myself already engaged in it. And within two minutes, you know, in that two minute period, I'm already thinking, well, at that point, I'm already into it. There's no need to stop. And then another tactic, two other ones I would throw out would be one, if you do any kind of physical training, do your physical training and then jump into your work. The process of doing some type of PT or physical training exercise, you know, it releases endorphins. It ultimately relaxes you and it gets the blood flow going to the brain and, and throughout your entire body. So it also increases your energy levels. At least for myself, it tends to increase my focus level. So that's one tactic would be, you know, go do some, go do exercise and then if come back and, you know, come and do the work. The other one that I would throw out there would be go for a walk. So if you find yourself either trying to apply the, you know, the two minute rule or a Pomodoro technique and you're doing it and you're just not being able to get, you just can't get the mind focused on what you're doing, literally just get up and go for a walk, get out in the fresh air, walk around, come back. And that's just another tactic that you might want to be able to apply and get yourself focused back on the work you got to get knocked out. Awesome. Next one is from Mark in New Jersey. He's a recent graduate. Hello, my name's Mark. I graduated in civil engineering in Syria and I had a high score in college. Can you please help me to understand what exams I have to take as a foreigner to get a license in the USA? Mark, good question. Just a quick answer is you just have to basically contact your state board for engineering and land surveying in your state. So in your case, New Jersey, and ask them how they evaluate that or what the requirements are. I know that in different states, they have different processes and they will still evaluate people on a case-by-case basis from another country to measure all of your experience there and then try to see how it would equate to here and then tell you what you need to do. So that's really going to be the best bet for you. Next one is Joe from College Park, Texas. Hello, Anthony. I just found your show and plan on listening to all of your episodes in order to catch up. A little background about me. I spent several years as a professional drafter and then a few years in the Army before heading back to school for civil. I have a question for you as a future civil engineer. I'm interested in potentially signing on with a multinational corporation in order to possibly do work in other parts of the world. Is this a bad idea to pursue as potentially fresh EIT upon graduation? 
Is it better to stick around the U.S. and earn a PE before looking elsewhere in the world? I'm sure Chris can talk on this one, but just real quick before I kick it to him, I always think it's a good idea to get experience right away and to try to get your license. That doesn't mean that one of these multinational corporations won't hire you and still be able to make that happen. But I'm a big proponent of getting grounded, getting your initial like learning some important things right away, get a foundation, get a license, and like build up from there. But I'll kick this to Chris. He's got a lot more experience in international work. Yeah, I think, Joe, the real question is going to be whether or not the, uh, this multinational you're going to be working with is going to have any U.S. engineers that have the PE for which you'll be working for. Because really, at the end of the day, when you, when you go to apply for the PE, it's going to be based off of you having professional engineer licensed references and having been able to have worked for engineers, professional engineers. So my particular case, in the first decade of my professional career, I spent uh, three quarters of it outside of the U.S., but I was working for U.S. engineers who had PEs. So I had, if you want to call it a chain of custody or whatever, you know, I had professional engineers from the U.S. so that when I went and did my application and I applied to take the PE as absolutely as soon as I could based off of, at the time, what the time frame was between uh, doing the EIT, it was the EIT at the time, and then the PE. So I really don't think it's a problem at all to go after and pursue the multinational opportunity, the key is going to be in the challenge that could potentially present itself is that if you're not working for someone who holds a professional engineer's license in the United States, that could present you with some challenges if you don't have those references when you actually go to apply to take the professional engineer's exam. The other element that might play into this as well is that if you get out and let's say you are working outside of the United States, I'm actually going to kind of throw a plug in here for Society of American Military Engineers because they do proctor. They've got an agreement with North Carolina for proctoring of the professional engineers exam in Asia and in Europe. I think it still is the only program or the only that NC is the only state that provides it that exam outside of the continental United States. But that's typically through, like I said, it's, it's managed through the Society of American Military Engineers in the agreement that they've got. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have to be in a position to be able to apply to the state board to take to sit for the professional engineer's exam. And you're still going to have to be able to show that you've worked for, that you've got professional engineers as references. So that's the biggest, perhaps maybe question mark that's out there. Again, from my my perspective, working multinationals and, uh, you know, kind of getting out there into the, into the world and, and truly doing the engineering work, I think you're going to find it'll be an amazing experience. So that piece of it's good. You just need to make sure that you've got this other professional component covered down on uh, before you pull the trigger. All right. And the last question we got here, and then we'll jump into the Take Action Today segment where we'll today we'll talk a little bit about, give you some tips for making these kind of critical decisions. The last one here is from Edwin in Denver, who's a young engineer. I've been doing training content for about eight years almost, and I have a degree in mechanical engineering, and I feel like I became too comfortable and have been looking to go back to school for my master's and debating between aerospace and mechanical. Leaning more towards aerospace, but I know I can take courses involving both, but my question is that I have no direct experience in engineering design. I feel like I do not have enough experience, period. What I am wondering is, would it benefit me to find an engineering job and then apply to graduate school? 
There are many paths to take, and I guess I should take one, right? What insight would you have about this? And is there a podcast related to this? I will check out your other resources. Well, Edwin, thanks for the question. It's a good question. And listen, things happen in your career. You go back and forth. You might do different things. I think that it probably is a good idea to actually get an engineering job before you go to graduate school. Because going to graduate school, I mean, people toss that around like it's an easy decision, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time involved with it. So you really don't want to go and get a degree for something unless you're pretty sure that you're going to actually practice it and utilize it. And so I would recommend that you you get a job first and test it out. And that especially goes for a technical master's degree like that. Whereas if you were to get an MBA, that's very flexible. It can be used in a lot of different arenas. You can benefit from that in a lot of different career paths. But in this situation, I would really, really stress the fact that you've got to test this out before you just jump into it. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that 100%, Anthony. The other component is, of this is to make sure that... Uh, on the front end of this, you know, just like, like Anthony's mentioned, you're suggesting that you go and kind of you know, essentially get a job and, and test run this. The other piece of it is, is start doing some research on your own to find out you know, what are the opportunities that you're going to create yourself one way or the other with either a, you know, this graduate degree in mechanical or aerospace. So what are you going to do on the backside of it? Do you have contacts or individuals that you've been able to speak with and gain information from to help you understand what the terrain is going to look like on the other side? Because as Anthony mentioned, I mean, if you go through, you're going to have invested a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of sweat, blood, and tears to go through and get the advanced degree. And then if you don't have any place to apply it, well, now you're left with a great, you've got a graduate degree, but how are you able to provide benefit or value to anyone, including yourself from a revenue standpoint, but how are you able to provide value to somebody else? So don't vote it off the table at all, but take a look at, you know, what do you truly have a very good understanding of what you're going to truly be able to do with this on the back end of it. And as you look at it, maybe it opens up the door to looking at other advanced degree opportunities like an MBA or an engineering management degree or something along those lines, as opposed to a pure technical one. So just do your homework, do your due diligence, which is, you know, one of the things that engineers are supposed to be good at. Do the analysis portion of it, and you know you're maybe not you won't have a hundred percent ironclad guarantee that you're going to have the exact success that you intended on the front end, but at least you'll have a much better idea and more confidence about what it is that you're making a decision on and what you're going to implement. With that, we're going to jump now into our take action today segment of the show, where we get to wrap all this up and give you one actionable piece of advice and. I actually spoke with a new member of our engineering mastermind group the other day, and he was really thankful for the take action today segments of the show because he said it really does kind of bring it to an actionable item. So we're going to give you that in this next segment. All right, now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show, where we're going to give you some advice around making these critical career decisions that we've talked about in a lot of this episode. But before I do, I would like to offer a word from our sponsor for this Q&A series, WPI. WPI's Robert A. Foise School of Business specializes in equipping candidates much like yourself for the MBA experience and an MBA-enabled career path. Built on the foundations of technology and innovation, WPI's MBA program delivers a dynamic, personalized, collaborative, and supportive environment for engineers to augment their technical capabilities with business understanding, acumen, and know-how, and do it all through a format that affords working professionals like you 
the opportunity to fit the program into your day and your week in a way that works for you. For more information on WPI's MBA program, visit business.wpi.edu or call 508-831-4665. Again, that's 508-831-4665. This is a great series because it allows us to answer your questions. And with that, we had a lot of questions in this episode around decision-making, around do I get this kind of degree? Do I go back for something? If I want to work in a company, what path should I take? And these are all like really important decisions. And just to think about this globally, I think one thing that's important is when you're making decisions like this, you have to think about, like Chris said earlier in the episode, what opportunities are going to be opened up to you based on the action that you take. So if there's an action A option or option B, which one gives me potential opportunities? And the other thing that I would say to think about, which I think a lot of us, I know sometimes I don't think about it enough, is what are my potential risks? So if you think of opportunities and think of your risks, it will really help you to decide on whether or not it's a good decision. Like, for example, the one that we answered today, if you're going to invest in a degree program without totally knowing if you're going to want to work in that field, there's a lot of risk there. I mean, it's time, it's money. It's effort, it's opportunity cost for things you could have been doing in that time. So you need to think about all those things before you make a decision. And that would kind of be my take on some big picture items to think about when you have these career decisions. Chris? Yeah, and those are good, those are good points, Anthony. You know, one of the other things to to uh, look at on this is again, you've got to start with well, you've got to start with you got to develop the end in, in mind before you move out on anything. So is we've already discussed a couple different times here in the uh, in today's show. You have to spend some time getting comfortable with what you're expecting to try to achieve on the back end. So before you move off and spend the time, invest the time, invest the money and the other resources in whatever it's going to be that you can pursue, whether it's a uh, following degree or a specific uh, certification or licensure, even whatever it's going to be. Spend some time getting comfortable with what it's going to look like in the to-be stage. What are the opportunities that you potentially create? What are the ones that you're not going to be able to create? What are the ones that you're not going to be able to go after because you're pursuing, let's say you're pursuing a degree or an advanced degree? So as Anthony, as you've already mentioned, especially with an advanced degree, that is a sizable investment of time and, and money. And so as engineers, we're all familiar and comfortable with the concepts of opportunity cost. So if you're investing time and money and going after that degree, what aren't you able to do because you're doing that? It doesn't mean that you can't do these things. It's just saying use the analytical skills that you've developed as an engineer through your education, through your professional experience, and apply those to helping you make this decision about what you're going to be doing as you move forward in your career professionally. All right. I hope that you enjoyed this episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Just go to engineeringcareercoach.com. Look for episode 104. We monitor all comments on the post and we will respond to you if you leave us one and keep those questions coming in and we'll continue to answer them through these Q&A episodes. Until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.